king. Oh, worship the king. And we will sing tonight verse, uh, the first, second, and fourth stanzas. Number one, number two, number four. Of hymn number one, oh, worship the king.
be out here, uh, at least those who go on the county side by 8.30 to beat the shutdown on the freeway, Leaky Leaky. All right, take your Bibles to begin tonight. Uh, study this month on salvation. Salvation, lessons on salvation, something that you're familiar with, but something we should be reminded about, what the Bible says about salvation. We'll begin with Psalm chapter 9. Psalm chapter 9 will be our verse to begin. Psalm chapter 9 from the Old Testament. Do you know what salvation is? Do you know what the definition is? There are two definitions for salvation. We'll get into that tonight. Psalm chapter 9 to begin. Psalm chapter 9, verse number 14. Verse 14 says, That I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughters of Zion, I will rejoice in thy salvation. That part of that verse, I will rejoice in thy salvation, is the verse I'd like to use to teach this month about salvation. I will rejoice in thy salvation. Apparently salvation is something good. Apparently salvation is something needed. And apparently salvation is something that is a good thing that has happened to someone. Now salvation, he says, I will rejoice. If there's anything that you can rejoice in or should rejoice in or be happy about, is the truth that God has salvation given to man. And so the word salvation comes many times in the Old Testament, 158 times. A simple look at a concordance or an online Bible will tell you how many times the word salvation appears. And in the New Testament, it comes up at least 43 times in the New Testament. So quite a few times the word salvation is given. Now the definition of salvation, uh, we need to think about the word And the definition, there are two definitions for salvation, and both of them you could be familiar with, or it might be, and the first definition for salvation, we will look at the book of Exodus chapter 14. I have several verses for us to turn to, we'll take a minute or two, or a second, not a minute, but a second or two, to turn to the Bible verses and see for ourselves the definition of salvation. There are two definitions for salvation. So a Bible word like salvation has more than one meaning. And so, Exodus chapter 14, verse number 13. The first reference is about a certain kind of salvation. Exodus 14, 13. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today for the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The first definition of salvation is a reference to something physical. It is a deliverance from a problem, a condition. It's a relieving of something stressful. It is deliverance from distress, Danger, it's a rescue, salvation. And the reference here is about Moses and about God delivering them out of Egypt, out of bondage. So salvation, he thanks God, he praises God for salvation, the deliverance of his people out of Egypt. 
He relieves them of the distress and the problems and the burdens. And so that's the first way of looking at salvation. The second way, uh, the second way, uh, I should continue by saying, uh, emphasizing before I get to the second thing, that uh, salvation, the word used in the Bible is many times, especially in the Old Testament, a, a relief, a rescue, a rescue. Uh, I just read this morning that there were three men in an inflatable catamaran, double hull, 30 feet long. They were found off the coast of Australia. In fact, they were so far off the coast, I can't imagine anybody being out there that far. 520 miles off the coast of Australia. That's a long way for anybody. Well, their little 30-foot catamaran seemed to appeal to sharks, and it bit the back right side of the the inflatable, which meant they were kind of immobile. So they're drifting along in the open water. They're attacked several times by sharks. There's a drone picture of them, and the, the back side, the, the right side is bitten off. Kind of scary. Three men, ages 20-something to 60-something. Anyway, they happen to have had with them something that delivered them from danger and from death, probably. They had something on them that was their salvation. It was a simple thing called an emergency beacon. They turned their emergency beacon on. At 1.30 in the morning, a Panamanian ship heard it and responded and rescued them. That's a picture and that's an example of the first definition of salvation. It is deliverance from distress, danger. It's a rescue. It's physical. It's material. The second one is spiritual. The first one is physical. The second is spiritual. It's a deliverance. It's a rescue from something spiritual. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 is a verse that helps us to see this other definition of salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse number 10. I have two verses under this second point. 2 Corinthians 7, 10, and then the other is Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 3. Two references under this point of spiritual salvation. Salvation is a physical deliverance, and then it's a spiritual deliverance. 2 Corinthians 7, 10 tells us, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Uh, godly sorrow worketh repentance to Salvation. So we have a spiritual aspect now of salvation where it is repentance and it leads to a spiritual salvation. Redemption, uh, rescue uh, from not physical distress, but from something spiritual, something moral. It is deliverance of fallen men from the bondage of sin. Just like Israel was delivered from the bondage of the Pharaoh, the man, the sinner, is redeemed. He is relieved from the bondage of sin the punishment of sin eternal death so Hebrews 2 3 come over there Hebrews chapter 2 verse number 3 here's a good reference to a definition of salvation Hebrews 2 3 The word salvation is in verse number 3. Hebrews 2, 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great 
salvation. So you have the word salvation there. The deliverance is not from a physical enemy, from a from a Pharaoh. This is a spiritual deliverance, a spiritual rescue. It is something that is called salvation. So it's a spiritual thing now. And he calls it, he defines it, the salvation as something that is great, great salvation. Let me give you some verse about why this salvation is called great salvation. It's described as great in 2-3 for many reasons. And so the first thing you see about uh, why it's called great is because of Ephesians 2, 89. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. Now because I have several verses there, I'll go ahead and read them. If you can catch up, that'd be fine. Hebrews, uh, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2. Now I'm going to tell you why he calls salvation great. Here's why salvation is great. Here's why something spiritual, the spiritual freedom, the spiritual deliverance, the spiritual relief, the spiritual rescue is far greater than a physical rescue. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 89, it says this, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now the word saved is there, that's very close to the word salvation. We'll talk about that in just a little while. But it's a great salvation because there's great compassion. Great compassion. We are saved by God's grace. Grace, grace is the basis for spiritual salvation. It's not by works which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Now, there's also another aspect of uh, why salvation is great, and that's found in John 3.16. There's a whole outline you can give in John 3.16. But John 3, 16 tells us another reason why salvation is great. It's because of a great invitation. For God so loved the world. God so loved the world. That's a great invitation. Everyone can come by faith for salvation. That's why it's great. It's not limited to a certain class of people, a certain race of people. Uh, people nowadays are so crazy because they make one race uh, superior than another race in their thinking. There's a reverse discrimination going on in this society, this culture of ours. And in the world in general whereas uh, of one blood god made all men and all men are fallen men all men are sinful men all men need to be redeemed and by the grace of god all men have been given an invitation to come to christ for salvation a great invitation a great salvation because of great compassion and great invitation and then there's romans 10 13. here's another verse romans 10 13. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be, there's that word, saved again. For whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall have salvation, shall be delivered from the bondage of sin. And so you have a great opportunity. Great opportunity. It's a great opportunity because whosoever, anyone, anyone who calls, no, again, no limitation. When a person hears the gospel, and responds to the gospel positively, they want to receive Christ as Savior, then they will be saved. They will have salvation. It's a great opportunity. Everyone who hears, they possibly can respond to Christ and they possibly could be saved. Now, there's also another reference here. I'm going to just write it down for you. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. This talks about a great designer of salvation. Uh, let's take a look at Ephesians. We're close by. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 5. 
I'll go ahead and read, and it says, And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's our great problem. Sin. Wherefore, uh, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now that kind of a person is without God in this world. He's not a very nice person, not a very good person. This person pretty wicked. And yet, the verses continue. Verse 3. Among whom also we all have our conversation. Conversation not just what we talk about. Conversation is uh, our manner of how we live. And it gives a message. It's a conversation. It talks. It tells what we are inside by how we live. So conversation means how we live. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and in the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So far, two and three is not a very pretty picture of man in his unsafe condition, but look at verse four. That word but changes everything. But God, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when, now, even when we didn't deserve to be loved, even when we were dead in sins, you can say even when we were doing the things of verses uh, 1, 2, 3. But God, who is rich in mercy, verse 4, for his great love wherewith, uh, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved. So, great salvation because... The design of salvation, the, the origin of salvation is just great in love. Great in love. There's also another thing why salvation is called great. Colossians 1.14. Colossians 1.14 is a great verse to help us to understand why salvation is called great in Hebrews 2.3. We have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins. Salvation, redemption. We have the forgiveness of sins because of his great sacrifice. He shed his blood. That's great sacrifice. That's why salvation is called great because of all the aspects of what was involved with salvation for us to have it freely, the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then Colossians 1.1, 1, 1, I'll end on this one as far as, uh, what did I say, Colossians 1.1? 1, 1? Yes, Colossians 1 1. Colossians 1 1. Another point about why salvation is great. And Colossians 1, verse number 1. Maybe I meant 11. Maybe I meant 14. I meant 14. My computer has uh, the number 4 sticking. So when I hit four, it doesn't come out four. I have to go. I have to push down like I'm the size of my wife's uh, shoulder. I have to push hard. And so that's why it comes out in my notes here, Colossians 1.1. Colossians 1.14. In whom we have redemption, we have salvation through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. We have great benefits. We have great benefits because of salvation. The greatest benefit at least one of the top three benefits you would say is the forgiveness of sins that's a great benefit the forgiveness of sins can you imagine if someone had a calculator and counted all your sins and multiplied them by the week and by the month and by the years as a matter of fact let's take a short exercise here uh, if someone I don't have my phone on me but if you have a phone on a calculator if you if you sin just once a week once a week seven days that's seven sins and there's four weeks in a month what's four times seven 
Four times seven is? That's 28, isn't it? 28, that's one month. 28 times 12 is? What's 28 times 12? Calculator people. Three hundred thirty-six. Okay, three hundred. So in one year's time, in twelve months, you had sin. If it was just once a day, which is probably, probably more, three hundred thirty-six sins a year. That's just one year. Now watch this. Let's times that by ten years. Okay, so that's going to be three thousand three hundred sixty sins a year. Now that's a lot of sins. Let's say you broke one law a day. Let's say you broke some law 28 times, times one month, one year. You've broken the law 3,360 times. Can you imagine if you got caught by the police for your taillight being out? And then they run your, your license number, your license, and your driver's license ID, and they say, oh, arrest him right now. He's got, he's broken the law 3,360 times. He needs to be jailed right now, straight jacket. From solitary confinement, he's a bad guy. Well, that's just for crimes against society. You broke some laws, but if you broke God's laws that many times, you're in big trouble with God. But he does say, salvation is great because there's a great benefit. Your sins are all forgiven. That's pretty good. Then they make an independent Baptist turn Pentecostal. Great benefits of salvation. That's why it's called great. Now, physical deliverance doesn't mean spiritual deliverance. By the way, Physical deliverance, physical salvation does not mean spiritual salvation, spiritual deliverance. You can be rescued from like these three guys, but that doesn't mean they're spiritual. They are right before God. They had a physical deliverance. They had a number one, but they needed a number two. They need a spiritual rescue. You see how important it is to understand salvation. So the Bible does tell us that there are two definitions for salvation. Now, the word saved, the word saved is very synonymous with the word salvation. And so you find that word in the Bible many times. And uh, salvation, physical, spiritual deliverance. Saved, physical, and spiritual deliverance as well. There's two aspects, two definitions for the word saved as well. For example... Uh, when you see the word saved, I'll read you a verse or two, and you might want to just jot these down. Psalm 18, verse number three says this. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. So saved has a connection to rescue from my enemies. Psalm 18, verse number three. Here's another verse about the word saved means rescue from your enemies. Psalm 107, verse 13. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. Well, that's a good thing if you are ever rescued from your troubles and from your distresses. It could be many forms, many kinds of troubles and distresses. But when you ask God to help you, and he helps you, or someone rescues you, that's a good thing for you. But that's a physical rescue. That's a physical deliverance. That's a physical rescuing from danger. And then the word saved could be something spiritual as well. Here's another reference or two I'd like to give to you. 2 Timothy 2, verse number 1. Who will have all men to be saved 
He's the savior of all men, and he wants all men to be saved. In what, what sense? Not saved physically, but he wants all men to be saved spiritually. 2 Timothy 1.9 also says this, Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. That's a spiritual saving. So there's two kinds of salvation definitions and two definitions for save. And it makes perfect sense when you look at the Bible in all of its um, uh, blending and, and, and context. So uh, I'm focusing on the spiritual definition of salvation, not physical deliverance, but on the spiritual deliverance. Now, Acts chapter 16, if you come there, Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul and his friend, Silas, is in prison for preaching. And in Acts chapter 16, they are in real deep kimchi. They've been scourged, they've been whipped, they're, they're bloodied, they're thrown in a, a cell, they're handcuffed at the ankles and the arm hands, perhaps they're handcuffed together, right arm to left arm, Paul and Silas. And they're in jail, they're there all night, all day, and at midnight they're singing. In Acts chapter 16, they are singing at midnight. Well, it's a very unusual thing for these two men who were unjustly incarcerated. Nowadays, if people uh, have an injustice done to them or even suspected, there's all kinds of attention given to people. But here's Paul and Silas. They are truly unjustly treated and they are abused. They are whipped. They're scourged. In verse number 25 of Acts 16, and at midnight, after sitting there for how many hours, they're back against a cold Roman cell. And at midnight, Paul and Silas said, I wish I never got saved. I wish I never got into the ministry. I wish I hadn't stick, stuck around. Silas probably said, I wish I hadn't gone with you, Paul. I wish you let John Mark go with you instead of me. If, if that was the case, I wouldn't even be here to suffer like you. Oh, woe is me. No, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. They prayed. I wonder what they prayed. Well, I'm sure they prayed out from their heart and prayed many different things. And uh, I'm sure as they prayed, they prayed something about having compassion on the Roman emperor and having compassion on the Roman jailer. Maybe they prayed like that. Maybe they prayed for the other inmates. Well, they prayed. They prayed to God and they sang. They sang to God. They sang praises unto God. Notice that they sang praise unto God in a very severe, distressful condition. It's easy to sing praise unto God um, in a setting where everybody's doing the same thing. <laughs> it's kind of easy to sing praise unto God when everybody's in an air-conditioned, comfortable uh, church or when everything's fine, your bills are all paid and your car's running good, doesn't have a flat tire for the last year and uh, the taxes went down and you got a new president and Biden's out. Oh, did I say that? And uh, whoever is next is in is going to, and a lot of good things are going on. And uh, the weather is great; it's seventy-five degrees, and there's no um, no dry grass, no more fire. Everything's good. It's easy to sing praise unto God, but that's not the condition they're in. They're in a very stressful condition situation. Now, most Christians may not do this. Most Christians would not do this, especially after hours of suffering. Perhaps they would be second guessing instead. Instead of singing praises to God and praying, they might be saying, you know what? I'm in the wrong religion. 
you know what, I'm in the wrong church. You know, I got wrong friends. Oh, things would be so much different if I had, you see, all kind of second guessing. And that's human nature to, to doubt and to wonder, to guess, and to really think about um, how wrong things are now because of you, because of you, because of him, and because of the situation. No, no, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and they sang praise unto God. I guess they had something in their heart that was helping them to not fall apart or get mad at God or blame God. They must have had something in their heart. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them, which tells us something, doesn't it? The prisoners heard them. <laughs> the prisoners heard them singing. What does that mean, Carmen? That means they sang in whispers. Let's just let's just sing out loud so everybody can hear us. Oh, okay. So they sang, and the Bible says they sang, and the other prisoners heard them down the hallways, other cells. They heard them sing. What were they thinking? I wonder. These other inmates, when they heard them singing, I don't know how they sang. Did they harmonize well? Who was the who was the um, baritone? Who was the tenor? Who, who knows? They sang together though. And however they sang, it must have been something pretty good to God, don't you think? Sure. I think the Lord accepts, accepted what they sang, no matter how they sounded. <laughs> uh, the prisoners heard them, said, sang out loud. Verse 26. And of course, it was probably quiet in the prison at midnight. Usually you're sleeping at midnight after a rotten day for most prisoners, complaining about food and water and crackers. That's all we got, water and crackers? Another guy said, hey, quick complaint. We, you, last week we had water and uh, one week old rice. I had a few maggots in it. We ate that. And then I saw my bread last week. If you're complaining about that, I saw my bread last week, some blue things on the bread. I saw some blue spots on my bread. I had to eat anyway because I was so hungry. And then verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loose. This is a miraculous earthquake. Earthquake came not because Paul and Silas sang. There's a standard joke about this where Paul and Silas sang. I was asking about who was the tenor and who was the baritone, uh, uh, who was the bass. Well, they didn't have a bass. And so God heard Paul singing in his tenor voice and he heard Silas singing in his baritone voice. And the Lord says in heaven, you need a bass. And so the Lord, when the Lord sang the bass part to that Southern Gospel Quartet song, then uh, there was an earthquake. That's the joke. It didn't happen like that. But there was an earthquake, that's for sure. <laughs> and all the doors were open, and everyone's bands were loosed. That was quite a shock to everyone. Woke up the whole, the whole cell block. Woke up the whole cell block. Verse 27, and the keeper of the prison awakened out of his sleep. I'll bet he did. You ever awake out of your sleep suddenly by a loud noise? It's kind of scary. It stops your heart. 
And he, the keeper of the prison, waking out of his sleep and seeing the door, prison doors open, he drew out his sword. He thought one thing. He drew out his sword and would have killed himself. You want to picture him putting his sword, the point of his sword on his throat. He's kneeling. He's going to fall forward right here on his throat to kill himself. Um, there was, uh, in the days of the Old West, a, a young lady, maybe she was 14, 15, I can't tell, and an old Western guy, a real uh, veteran cowboy. They look on the horizon, there's maybe two dozen Indians. I don't know what kind they were, maybe they were Comanche, they were very brutal. And this guy, he took up the saddle from the horse, he threw it down next to his wagon or on the, something that tipped, top, tipped over, and he, he got down there. He says, now listen, they're gonna come down just a little bit. They see that there's only me and you, a guy and a kid. He said, those people, when they come down, they will not have mercy on us. He said, he, see, he handed her his, his gun. It was not a six shirt. Uh, it was a six shirt, but he says only two rounds in it. He says, when they come down, you use these two rounds on us. I want you to shoot me, and then you put the gun to yourself and you shoot yourself. The girl says, no, 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 no. And he says, listen, when they come down, they do horrible, unimaginable things to both of us. And he says, if you don't, if you don't shoot me, and you don't shoot yourself. He said, I'm gonna shoot until I can't shoot anymore, it's run out of the woods. But when they come after us, this is what they're gonna to do to us. So just do that. Very horrible, isn't it? Very horrible. You know how, if, if you can stop and think for a second, you know how you would actually fend off the Indians that way? You have to shoot them with your own guns, with your own bullets. You have to fight back. You can't just try to negotiate with them. You have to, you have to kill them or you will be killed. And so that's what he told the girl. And the girl was terrified. And he said, put that gun right on your temple and pull the trigger and, and end it because otherwise you will have to suffer unbelievable horror. And he says, I've seen it before. I don't want this to happen to you. And so the jailer was going to kill himself because he knew it was going to happen. He was responsible for the inmates. He assumed they had all escaped. Even one's bands were loose, the chains fell off. Verse 27, to keep the prison waking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew on his sword and would have killed himself and supposed that the prison had fled. Verse 28, but Paul cried with a loud voice. The, the, the jailer probably was happy that Paul got excited here and raised his voice, saying, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Now the Paul had enough sense to know what the man was about to do, the jailer, and why he was about to do it. So he's had one chance to say one sentence that would stop him from killing himself. Do thyself no harm. Why? Why should I not hurt, kill myself? He says, for we are all here. No one's escaped. You're not in danger. Your superior is not going to have your head because no one's escaped. So Paul was wise to know what to say. Verse 29, then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. Now watch carefully, verse 30. Here comes that word. And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? When the jailer asked that question, he wasn't asking about what must I do to uh, be relieved from a physical punishment. No. 
is something else. He must have realized between the lines, something unusual is going on over here between these two men of God. And so he said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul understood what he meant because in verse 31, it says, they said, maybe Paul and Silas in unison said this, they sang to him, I don't know, I don't think so, but they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So that word saved in this context is a spiritual salvation, a spiritual rescue, a spiritual saving from sin. So you see very clearly both definitions for the word saved and salvation in both testaments. And so uh, in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 9, uh, we have time to turn there. Romans 5, verse number 9. Sometimes people, because they had been rescued from a very bad situation, uh, rescued from almost getting killed in a car wreck, train wreck, or some kind of tragedy, but at the last second, uh, something happened where they were rescued from that, and uh, it was a close call. Well, that was a close call physically. That is not a spiritual salvation, and hopefully that close call caused someone to stop and think about spiritual salvation, a spiritual deliverance. But in Romans 5.9, uh, Paul says this about the word saved. Romans 5.9. Uh, verse number 8. But God commendeth his love toward us. You notice how many times the word love is connected to a spiritual salvation? But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So we now have introduced to the word saved and salvation, the word wrath. We're saved from, I did say we're saved from physical danger, physical distress, but now saved, saved in the sense of something spiritual. What are we saved from that is so distressful? Well, we're saved from the wrath. We're saved from the wrath through Him. We're saved from God's wrath. So you can be saved physically from a bad situation, and that'll be okay for the temporary. But for the permanent and for, in that regard, being saved spiritually is much more important than being saved in the temporary. Now, uh, spiritual salvation. Now, in John 3.36, Romans, in, in Romans 5.9, Paul mentioned about the wrath from wrath. Now, come to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, hence that famous verse, John 3.16. If you come down in John chapter 3, all the way to the end or to the last verse, verse number 36, John 3.36, you have a, what they call a cross-reference. A verse connects to another verse to give definition. John 3.36 says this. Now keep in mind, Romans 5.9 did say, save from wrath. In John 3.36, the Bible says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God. Ah. Now we have a clarity here, a little bit of understanding and uh, adding to our, our understanding of what the wrath is. We shall be, uh, he that believes not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So an unsaved man who dies without Christ, the wrath of God is what he would eventually face. But because he has trusted in Christ, he is relieved from the wrath of God. That's why spiritual salvation is far more important than a physical deliverance. 
And then uh, read another verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 9, which tells us, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Simply put, because of Christ's sacrifice and shed blood, we can have salvation rather than face eventual wrath eternally. And so biblical spiritual salvation is deliverance from the penalty of sin. It involves the removal of sin. We are saved or delivered from the power of sin, the bondage, and from the penalty of sin, the eternal hell. It's, it's like it's like it never happened. It's like you've been totally clean. So if you look at the board, I'll take my my famous my famous yellow rag, my famous homemade spray, and I'm gonna spray this. Then I'll wipe it. Now what was the number, the two numbers on the board here? Can you see it? It's gone. Why is it gone? Because of famous homemade spray and famous yellow car rag, okay? It has been wiped away. So if I were to put it like this, which is really how it is. Uh, penalty of sin, penalty of sin, okay? Now, that was what a sinner was facing without Christ. But because of the love of God, because of salvation, because he received Christ as his Savior, the wrath, gone. Penalty of sin, gone. Okay? It's like it never happened in the sight of God. And that's biblical New Testament salvation. And it is the, the forgiveness of sin, the removal of sin, removal of the, you're, you're being just like the, the the, um, the chains where they fell off the prisoners in the, the Philippian jail. It's like you're free now to live like you ought to live because you've been set free by the power of God. And so then you have to ask yourself the question, where do we find about this great salvation? What is the source of this great salvation? Uh, how do we know about this? What is the source of it? Okay, well, this is kind of an important question. The source that's S-O-U-R-C-E, source. <laughs> this is my, my other life, handwriting as a doctorate tripler. This is the source, okay? The source of, the source of how we know what salvation is, um, it comes from, there's a net flying around me. It comes from the revelation of God. God has to reveal it to us. Uh, let me tell you this. He has to reveal it to us, not by creation, not by creation, but by special revelation. And that special revelation, of course, is the Bible. Now, I say creation because we look at the creation that is around us by night or by day, you see the handiwork of God, you see the, the power of God, the imagination of God, you see that it all must have happened because of some grand, some smart, intelligent, some great, powerful, that's what you think. But that's not enough information to make you have spiritual salvation. You have to go a little bit further than that. You have to be led to a special, a special revelation. You have to be led to the Bible. And it's the Bible, specifically the New Testament, which reveals to you what God said about how you can have salvation. Okay, so the Bible is our source. 
and we will look at the Bible next week, the next four, three Wednesdays. I want to cover some of these things about salvation. I'm just teasing you tonight so that you want to learn more about salvation. I want to cover uh, some issues about salvation. Uh, the symbols in the Old Testament about New Testament salvation. The things that happen in the Old Testament remind us about spiritual salvation in the New Testament. I want to cover the role of repentance in salvation. Does repentance have a part in salvation? And what about uh, this thing called dispensational salvation? Are you saved by works and grace in the Old Testament, but only grace in the New Testament? I want to talk about that. And then what about the struggle of salvation? The controversial verses about salvation. Uh, I'll give you two references here that are controversial. Matthew 24, verse 13, and Hebrews chapter 6. These two passages are, are problems. They are they cause people to struggle about their salvation. So we'll cover all of these things. And um, should you endure unto the end? What is the end? Who is he talking to? Is it to you? Do you have to have faith in Christ plus a lot of other good works involved? So I'll kind of, I'm going to cover all of these things because I want you to see very plainly and very clearly what the Bible says about salvation. So tonight was the beginning of uh Four lessons. This is lesson number one, defining what salvation is. And I will cover some of these topics. Uh, not in the same order, but I'll cover that beginning next week, Wednesday. So I hope you can learn. And you, po you folks are watching by the video. I hope you can learn and stay in touch with uh, the lessons about salvation. We will rejoice in thy salvation, Psalm 9:14 tells us. And we already can rejoice because what we've seen salvation is for us what a blessing it is to be saved and so of all the things that are most important in life it is not the red sox winning the world series it is not the jackson jaguars winning the super bowl of all the important things in life is not a lot of things that we think are important it's not about how much money you make it's not about how famous you are it's not anything to do, got anything to do with your status in life. It's got everything to do with what you do with Jesus Christ. And that's what you do to have eternal salvation. You have to do something with Jesus Christ who love you enough to die for you. And you must respond to him. You must take him as your savior. And when you do, by faith, he will accept you. Because he's a generous, loving God who wants to save people. He doesn't want you to be unsaved. So we'll talk about that and many other issues that did, as I covered in the next few Wednesdays, okay? All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the Bible. We pray that you'd help us to understand what you say about salvation. And we who have experienced it by new birth, we're so happy and glad that we trusted you. And now we pray that you help people to understand what true salvation is in the Bible. And uh, through that, through the studying of salvation, help us to be grateful even more. And help us to have a longing to see others saved because they need to be. They need Christ as Savior. And we pray that you help people to understand their spiritual condition before you. And we pray that you bless as we study. We pray that you bless our Sunday services. We look forward to coming to church on Sunday. We look forward to hearing about uh, what you have for us. And we pray for your blessings. Help people who are sick to get over it. Those who are not feeling well, we pray that you give them strength. 
and uh, we pray to bring people to church on Sunday that we don't know. We pray that you would reach out into our community and help people to see that there's a church here that they can come to and learn the Bible and perhaps even know uh, how to be saved. And so we pray for your help in all of these things. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.